0: I used to practice imagery when I played basketball. I used to practice making shots. And it's not particularly helpful if I'm just imagining myself missing all the time. Welcome to another episode of 80% Mental, everyone's favorite sports psychology podcast, probably. I'm Dr. Pete olishaga I'm here with Hugh Gilmore. Hugh, I've been um, I've been listening to some other podcasts recently, and I think we need to get better at the uh, the chat at the start of the podcast. Have you got any ideas?
1: No. Okay, um, is that is that my turn now to speak? Then okay, yeah. I do you have an idea? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, no, I was I was thinking about this. I think the podcast is doing good. But uh, if you want a podcast that has good chat on it, you should check out the No Lift Powerlifting Podcast, where I first met today's guest. Uh, so I'm a little bit apprehensive about this episode, as per usual, maybe. I don't know. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm all right. Uh, was it, was that a plug? Was that a plug for the No Lift Podcast?
1: That was a plug for the No Lift Podcast. Uh, it wasn't a very good plug. I'll have to try better later. No Lift Powerlifting Podcast uh, with Arthur Lynch. But uh, yeah, we've got um, a brilliant guest on today who actually I'm a little bit scared about interviewing because every time I've met him on Arthur's podcast, uh, I've always felt outgunned by his intellectual (laughs) knowledge of sports psychology and uh, the ability to just recite coherent arguments that I don't understand because they're so much above my level of intellect. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting day today.
0: We're going to introduce our guest in a, in, a, in a minute, but we want to get to the question that we're going to ask today. So, as usual, we're here to answer a question about sports psychology. And this week's question is, is what you see really what you get? Now, I think that leads, needs a little bit more context. So, what we're going to be talking about this week is imagery mental rehearsal, visualization. And we're going to get into those specific terms in a moment because actually, you know, they don't necessarily all mean the same thing. But what we're basically asking on today's episode is, can I use the power of the mind to imagine success? Does imagining success actually lead to success? And to help us out answering that question today, we've got a special guest, Dr. Owen McNeil. Hi, Owen. Welcome to 80% Mental.
2: Thanks so million, Pete. I'm going to have to correct you straight away. I'm not a, not a doctor yet. Uh, I'll be submitting my PhD at the end of this month. So uh, close, but but no cigar at the minute. But thanks a million for having me on. Uh, I really appreciate it. Ever since Hugh told me about the the project that you were putting together, I was very excited to, to come on. So I'm really looking forward to the chat.
0: Well, welcome to the show and congratulations on your honorary doctorate that I've just given uh, you. That's good. <laughs> It's, it's written here in front of me as well. You know, it's got <laughs> Owen. Owen's a PhD researcher. Um, so Owen's a PhD researcher at the University of Limerick, examining the effect of motor stimulation interventions in sensory motor tasks. Owen, I just wonder if you could give us uh, a little bit of an explanation because I know a lot of our listeners aren't necessarily psychologists. Can you just explain what your PhD sure. is, is about?
2: Yeah, no problem. So it's it's motor simulation interventions like motor imagery and action observation, and more specifically, it's actually the combined effect of action observation and motor imagery together as a as an intervention to see how that can um, kind of augment or affect or enhance performance in sensory motor skills. So we actually use golf putting as our kind of exemplar sensory motor skill. Um, so I'm sure we'll talk a lot today about motor imagery or mental imagery, or we can get into the different terms, um, but there has been a kind of concerted move in the last five years or a concerted shift, certainly in the, some of the applied research into examining both observation, so like watching somebody perform a movement and combining that with, uh, with imagery um to uh to kind of enhance uh, different types of, of motor skills or different kind of, or to enhance performance in these different types of uh, kind of sensory motor skills so that's kind of what we're that's kind of what we're we're looking at or what i have looked at
0: okay so what, what you're telling us is that you're literally the perfect guest to have on to answer this question
2: uh, well
0: we'll see <laughs> <laughs> well, well just kind of following up on what you just said we'll get in get straight in with that first question and that is you know I mentioned the terms imagery and mental rehearsal and visualization and you mentioned a couple of terms there as well before we get into it it is quite important to get a handle on what some of those things mean because they do get lumped together quite often what's what's the difference
2: so I think it's a it's a pretty pertinent question because there certainly has been a lack of clarity around some of these terms when I think about mental rehearsal I kind of think about I think about it as an umbrella term that can include imagery certainly but can also include things like self-talk or you know attentional control or even arousal control so that's kind of uh, that's kind of what I would consider to be kind of mental rehearsal um, you also hear visualization as uh, used as a term and I think it's a term that's used maybe more commonly in kind of mainstream media than in in academia or in applied kind of psychology work I think that the term visualization probably does kind of mental imagery or, or motor imagery a, a little bit of a disservice because it suggests that the process is is visual in nature when actually the process is like multi or polysensory in nature. When actually, if you're engaging in, in imagery in kind of an effective way or in a useful way, you're probably elicit, eliciting more than just one of the senses. So you're probably eliciting more than just the, the kind of the visual sense. The kind of the common terms would be mental imagery or, or motor imagery, where motor imagery would kind of refer to um, imagining the performance of a movement. Um, and, and mental imagery probably refers to the, the more common or the more kind of general interpretation of imagery where you might be imagining a scenario. That's my interpretation of those two terms. There still isn't like total clarity kind of in the literature, but, but generally motor imagery certainly would be. Consider
1: like imagine performing a movement uh, specifically so i suppose this is interesting because like while it's something that i've been taught as a sports psych that image is a good thing the level of detail here you're going into and what actually is imagery and what is useful what is not useful and what the terms mean is quite specific so visualization is the the visual image that you're seeing but you don't use your eyes when you're using imagery unless of course it's actually observation where you're watching somebody perform a skill like you've just mentioned. And then then you've mentioned polysensory or multisensory where you might actually use multiple senses around your body uh, or, or within your body to uh, recreate that feeling or process of performing the skill. I suppose I'm always intrigued in that people say you've got five senses, um, sight, taste, smell, touch, Sound. I think that's all five, but that's actually a load of rubbish um, because I think there's more than twenty seven uh, senses whenever you take into account all the different proprioceptive features of the human body. So you're you're coming in here with a high level of science. I, I think that's a term. I don't know if that's a term or not, Pete. But you've paid. You know, Owen's got a high level of science here. Um, this, some of our listeners would be a bit like me and would have a low level of science. Um, so. If you were breaking it breaking it down to a slow level science people, like give me your your one line on this.
2: One line on what term to use, or yeah, yeah, uh, just imagery is fine. It generally gets the it kind of encompasses all the potential all the potential uses of the. I'm, I'm I'm it's funny I'm I'm slow to call it a technique. So we'll say all the potential use of the scale, Let's say that.
0: So if imagery is using all of the senses. Not mm-hmm. just visualizing, but using all of the senses to, to recreate an image or to um, mentally prepare for training, competition, rehearsing a skill, something like that. Can you give me some examples of when an athlete might actually use imagery? You know, what, what might they use it for?
2: Yeah, that's a, I think that's a great question, actually. We might get into the into the mechanisms in a little while because that will kind of determine the context in which somebody actually uses imagery. Um, so one scenario in which it can be extremely effective is in like a self-paced skill. So a skill where the performer has to initiate the action. So think something along the lines of a rugby place kick, uh, think about something like golf, think about something like a you know, pole vault, javelin, anything where the performer it not necessarily reacting to some external um, stimuli. So as part of a pre-performance routine, that performer has the capacity to use imagery, use motor imagery specifically in a very um, kind of repeatable and in a very kind of conscious way. And so it can it can be particularly effective in, in that context, um, through perhaps through kind of a, a primary mechanism uh, where it's almost like an internal recreation of the task that's about to be performed, and um, that we can talk about in a little while, but then also it can help to, Um, push attentional focus towards a task relevant cue or towards something that's task relevant so it can kind of aid attentional control or aid concentration in a moment that might be where there might potentially be distractions
0: and Hugh you you work in weightlifting and I wonder if you have any experience of using imagery with your athletes in training or in preparation for competition because that that sport seems to fit the description of a lot of what Owen was just talking about there.
1: Well, I always say to the athletes in terms of this idea of a task-relevant cue, uh, if you can rub your stomach and pat your head, that's actually quite a difficult thing. And I use that to elicit the point that maybe during a, a training session or during competition, they shouldn't focus more than on one cue. So that's where imagery comes in really useful. And another way to explain that to people is to imagine there's a wall in front of them and get them to move their Finger their pointer finger in their right hand in a clockwise direction, and then try with uh, their big toe on their foot to draw uh, a circle in a counterclockwise uh, direction. And basically, you can't do it. It's it's very difficult to do. But it just really sells the point of don't focus on more than one cue because your performance will degrade from an applied perspective. Um, but I think also within like pre-performance routines, again, imagery is part but not all of that process. Uh, I know Eddie Hall, somebody rec- recently contacted me saying they heard that Eddie Hall, the world record um, deadlifter, I don't know if he's still the world record deadlifter, um, he imagines pulling a burning car off his family, uh, which is quite intense, but I mean, he's deadlifting you know, an insane amount of weight, nearly up over 500 kilograms now, I think the world record is. So I suppose to, to point out that Imagery is really useful in weightlifting, uh, either whether it be a skill focus or an arousal focus for actually uh, increasing the level of aggression within that. Um, Yeah, that would be my experience of using it. And
0: I wonder because, you know, you've talked about those self-paced skills and Hugh, you just mentioned performance there as well. And I wonder, Owen, are there any other potential benefits other than you know skill development or other than preparing for performance in the way that Hugh described what are the other potential benefits to, to using imagery as an athlete
2: well I know that um, Jennifer Cummings group out of uh, the University of Birmingham have done quite a lot of research into how imagery can augment self-efficacy specifically and shows that you know people engaging with uh, with imagery interventions over time Not only kind of enhance their, uh, not only kind of enhance their performance, but enhance their self-efficacy around their their performance as well. Um, So, I mean there there are certainly uh, there are certainly kind of multiple facets to the effect that imagery can have um, on athletes. That's not only like some sort of kind of direct performance enhancing, uh, direct kind of performance enhancing mechanism. There does seem to be other associated benefits that that can happen uh, through imagery as well.
0: Okay, so we've talked about using imagery to improve task performance. You just mentioned uh, self-efficacy there as well, which is just the kind of confidence that somebody might have to execute a specific skill at a specific time. I want to get into a little bit about how imagery actually works. And there's a number of different theoretical perspectives there, a number of different explanations. Can you just tell us a little bit about that?
2: sure um i guess the uh i guess the most prominent um kind of explanation or, or hypotheses that people are likely to have come across if they've done you know a sports psychology masters or or some sort of um You cognitive psychology module in, in an undergrad psychology course is the functional equivalence hypothesis. um so it's probably popularized by uh Mark in in like 1997. so in, in one sentence it essentially suggests that um, the, the underlying mechanisms or the underlying cognitive processes that are associated with uh, with imagery are the same as those that are associated with uh, physical execution of the skill. So imagining the skill uh, will share these cognitive processes are actually like in his 2001 paper, like he says that like simulated action states are the same, like their, their underlying processes are the same as those um, that are as like physical action states. I don't know how far into the weeds we want to get here, but it doesn't seem to be true that the underlying cognitive processes associated with imagery are identical to those that are associated with, uh, with physical execution of, of a skill. Um, so the way that, that, the way that it, it will be framed by genre is that we have this action continuum where on one end of the continuum, you've got physical execution of an action. And on the other end of continuum, you've got imagined action all overt actions, so all physically executed actions, require a covert counterpart, so require imagery or some sort of a covert action process to occur, whereas not all covert actions require an overt counterpart, that is that we can perform imagery without physically executing that same action. And what General would would, would really suggest is that these processes are extremely similar, so they, the cognitive process required to perform or that, that are kind of performed during, um, during imagery are very similar to those that are performed during, uh, during kind of physical execution. That explanation has been very prevalent in the literature for the last 25 or 30 years. And it, it, it goes some way to explain why we can elicit kind of psychophysiological responses that may be associated with physical execution of a task through imagery. Functional equivalence is still a very prevalent theory. It's still a very valuable theory but imagery certainly isn't identical to physical execution uh, on a neural level. That that makes sense, right?
0: You talked about this idea that for every physical action, there's almost like yeah. a like a mental blueprint or a mental representation of that action. And we can imagine an action without doing it, but we can't execute an action without imagining it. Is that is that right?
2: Yeah, essentially, without some sort of underlying cognitive kind of process being being present.
0: So one of the examples that I often give in, in teaching this stuff is, you know, when you see skiers at the top of the run and they're waiting to go down and you can see them imagining the run and they're kind of flinching and twitching. Uh, what, what's going on there?
2: You'd have to ask a skier, maybe. Um, <laughs> I, so I'd, I'd imagine they're using imagery as like a planning technique um, to anticipate what they need to do or to anticipate kind of what they're, um, they're about to do. So in that sense, they are recreating internally what's about to happen in a kind of a physical capacity I would imagine that that's kind of what they're what they're they're trying to do
0: Imagery. I imagine I imagine an image and it's real I imagine winning in my brain and I feel I feel real with imaginary.
1: Right. So, Pete, where are we going from here? Imagery, like, do coaches need to do this? Should they be teaching it?
2: I mean, look, in terms of uh, kind of psychological skills or, or psychological interventions, imagery really, at this point, is probably one of the better supported tools that an athlete or a coach kind of has at their, at their disposal. There's about 30 years of pretty high-quality research now that shows that, that imagery can, can enhance um, performance across a number of different scenarios or in a number of different tasks. It obviously depends. Uh, it's not a panacea for, like, uh, you know, it's not going to improve all performance in all capacities all the time. There are things that we need to consider, like individual differences, like people's imagery ability. In the context of, like, sports psychology research and the context of, like, well supported interventions that can be used by athletes imagery is certainly one of the ones that is kind of most well supported and i i'm i'm not biased just because (laughs) i've done some of that research
0: we just talked about some of the evidence there you know for using imagery and why people should maybe invest their time imagining a skill when they could be out just practicing it for real but I'm, i'm kind of recalling some of the research here and it seems that using imagery alongside physical practice is perhaps uh the most beneficial in terms of skill development in terms of outcomes uh, rather than just using imagery so it's not you know like you said it's not a panacea. it's not a replacement we need to be doing this stuff alongside physical practice is that is that a fair summary yeah
2: absolutely yeah so it, it should be seen as a pretty effective adjunct to to physical practice so the way it's often kind of framed or the way it's often referred to is that like okay there's a limit in terms of the amount of physical practice you can do on a on a kind of a given day or in a given session, and that you can supplement those repetitions or that physical practice with, with imagery to kind of further enhance some of those effects. And actually there's been quite a few uh, research papers that have shown that like even acutely, so even over like one bout of training, if you combine physical practice with imagery, that it tends to be more effective than either physical practice or imagery alone um so i think that that's definitely uh, that's definitely a reasonable interpretation i think it's definitely going to be the most effective method of um of applying imagery it's going to be kind of alongside as an adjunct to physical practice rather than as some some sort of replacement
0: so the four guys in a bath in cool runnings they, they, they're not allowed to have much track time track time's yeah. limited so they're yeah. kind of supplementing that by sitting in a bath and imagining going down the uh down, down yeah, the track,
2: I think it's a fantastic example. But yeah, so so their physical practice time is limited, and you know, okay, it might be limited by track time, but it might be limited by physical capacities, right? I mean, if you take a golfer, like it's pretty hard to hit like five hundred balls a day or something like that, but it's pretty easy to hit hundred balls a day, and then to add in some some mental practice to kind of enhance the effectiveness of that uh, of that practice. So I think that that's a that's definitely a reasonable interpretation. That imagery would be most effective as a, as an adjunct to physical practice. Yeah,
0: we're here with Owen McNeil, who I gave an honorary doctorate to at the start of the show. But he is a PhD researcher and an expert in all things imagery. Uh, if you're enjoying what you're hearing today, don't forget that you can tweet us at EPM Podcast, uh, and you can. Find all of our episodes at www.80percentmental.com.
2: I'm pretty uncomfortable with the term expert in all things imagery.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's all relative. Well, it can be pretty... Yeah, you can be pretty sure that I am not an expert in all things imagery. (laughs) Owen, so imagery, you know, like it's all very well. Talking about it, we hear the words. I mean... (sighs) I've even read papers and things like that about it. Uh, obviously, I've been t- taught it to a degree. But, like, one, how would you introduce this to somebody who's, say, a golfer, as you've mentioned? And then how would you know they're actually doing it and it's being successful?
2: Yeah, so I think that that's the, I don't want to say the million-dollar question, but I think that that's the challenging question when it comes from from the point of view of you know, interpreting some of the research evidence and applying that, you know, from a practitioner's kind of standpoint. So I think like I think golf is a, is a relatively straightforward one. So I do a lot of applied work in golf. And the you know, so the application of imagery in that context is often immediately prior to a shot. Okay, so it's part of a it's it's part of a, a pre performance kind of routine, right? So there's three primary perspectives when you apply imagery. Okay, there's you can take an external perspective where you get somebody to imagine watching themselves perform the movement, you can take an internal perspective where you get people to imagine performing the movement and then the the outcome of the movement through their own eyes, and then you've got a kinesthetic perspective where you imagine where you get people to imagine what it feels like to perform the movement. So that's definitely something to consider. Which perspective is going to be most effective for an individual athlete, and that's going to depend on on the context of that athlete and on the context of the skill that they're uh, that they're trying to to perform with golf certainly uh, internal visual perspective where they imagine the flight of the golf ball and then a kinesthetic perspective where they imagine what it feels like to reduce that flight on the golf ball certainly tends to be quite effective for golf like during a during a, a performance routine something that i think is probably quite important is is measuring the imagery ability of the athlete prior to um prior to giving them any kind of imagery intervention because that will um that would probably inform how you proceed with any with any with any imagery from a from a practical perspective. And the um the way that you would do that would generally be through possibly a self-report measure. So like the VMIQ or the MIQ. Um and then there's there's you can use uh, like mental chronometry, so you can uh you can measure the difference between the time it takes for them to perform the imagined task versus the time it takes for them to perform the actual physical task, and that can be a decent indicator of somebody's uh, somebody's imagery ability as well.
1: You know that's that's interesting because you've mentioned about imagery, somebody's imagery ability, and I always like yeah. to use my favourite Rogers or the famous psychologist uh, Rogers. Uh, his fa- favorite uh, insight into applied psychology is you've got to know when to hold them and you've got to know when to fold them. So like when would you not use imagery with somebody or when is this contraindicated with an athlete?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, if somebody has like aphasia or something like that where they actually can't create mental images and then, then you obviously you might not like, use it in, in that context. Um, so it's interesting, uh, imagery ability seems to be a skill that people can develop. It seems, that seems to be the case. Um, so I know that Danny's and Jennifer Coming have a nice research or have a nice review paper about this, but um, there's something called layered stimulus response training that seems to be pretty effective at, uh, at enhancing somebody's imagery ability over time, where you basically boil any movement or any action down to like composite parts. So if you were if you were trying to get someone to imagine hitting a, a golf pod, you would start with like the weight of the putter or how the putter feels in their hands and just get them to imagine that for a couple of sessions before layering in more and more information about the actual movement or about the actual task. And that tends to be, or that seems to be quite effective at developing um, imagery ability in, in people. In terms of when you kind of wouldn't use it, I think if people are having maybe pervasive negative imagery, um, that might be a scenario where where you consider not using it now, because imagery is like our imagination is such a central cognitive process to the human experience. It's it's pretty difficult to um, to like nail down when when not to use it. But if somebody was having like pervasive negative uh, imagery, it might be that might be a scenario where you wouldn't use it. Or alternatively, you could try to use it as like. And if then scenario where it's like, okay, you're having this negative imagery, that's the worst case scenario. If that happens, then how would you respond and maybe work that into the imagery? That's something that might be uh, that could potentially be useful.
1: Yeah. So I do have another tricky question for you. And it's kind of it's it's where I feel imagery is often misused, especially outside of sports psych. Because people talk about the term uh, visualization and you have to see it. If you can see it, then you can believe it, type thing. To the point where there was uh, a story told by one of these um, people who is an advocate of Tony Robbins. um, And he had this uh, guy from an Eastern European country. And basically, the guy told a story about how he used to visualize, uh, or he always had this image of being handed this trophy. Uh, by a man in this building and then 10 years later he's getting handed a trophy by a man and that very man in this very building uh, for some of his community work in football and the whole thing struck me as like post uh, success attribution to some thing like I mean trusting their interpretation of of what they've previously imaged or whatever I'm, I'm curious like And I don't know if you've heard of the book, The Secret or any of that sort of stuff. It says like, if you imagine your success, it will come to you and all that stuff. How do we, I take it that's not imagery and that's something we need to rip apart when people bring that idea of imagery, because there's going to be people listening to this uh, who are not coaches and not sports psychs. What are your thoughts on that type of muck?
2: Yeah, so the so-called law of attraction, is it?
1: yeah that uh,
2: type of stuff yeah i mean it's a complete misattribution that's certainly not imagery it's certainly not imagery in the in the academic or even in the in the kind of evidence-based sense of it right that's like a marketing tool or it's like uh you know pseudo scientific uh bullshit if i'm allowed to curse it's 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 nonsense i, I think with, with imagery you know there should be a very specific so, so if you're using motor imagery, you're imagining a specific movement, uh, and then if you're using imagery in kind of a more generalized sense, you're imagining a very specific scenario that you might encounter, whether that's in a match, if it's in a training session, if it's in a rehabilitation session, um, rather than this kind of you know kind of wishful thinking or this kind of um, this kind of lot of retraction nonsense stuff, um, if that makes sense.
0: So, Owen, you talked about different um, skills or different contexts in which imagery might be useful, and that sort of determines the type of imagery that might be used. So depending on the skill, we might use imagery from an internal perspective. So we're imagining seeing it through our own eyes, or yeah. we might use an external perspective, almost as if we're watching ourselves on TV, is the yeah. kind of exact the way I normally describe that. Yeah, exactly, um, yeah. I guess for somebody who's, who's literally just started, somebody who's never done it before, what are the tips that you might give for somebody to just i I don't know if somebody's never done it is there a quick sort of 30 second 10 second exercise you could give them to to introduce them to what imagery is you know how do you use all of the senses Yeah,
2: so I, i very simply like i i think that you would pick as simple a skill or as simple a task as as possible and try to and try to recreate that internally and elicit as many senses as you can during that recreation that might only be for like 10 seconds or it might only be for like 15 seconds. Uh, you wouldn't expect somebody at the very start having never used imagery in a concentrated way before to be able to recreate a full scene from a match like, or a full scenario from a, uh, from a game or, or something like that. So I think keeping it very simple and keeping it very brief at the start is probably is probably the best way to go. So I don't know if you were going to ask me about it, but like the, the Petlet model seems to be... Um, pretty well supported at this point. In the context of the the seven proponents that it outlines, um, are good goals to have in terms of when you're performing imagery. So, like matching the the, the physical context, uh, matching like you know the environmental properties of the imagery, matching the timing, matching the task, your level of learning, and then choosing a suitable perspective. Those suggestions would seem to be pretty decent goals in terms of uh in terms of actually applying or performing imagery um kind of on your own
0: so perhaps start by uh rather than starting by imagining yourself running a hundred meter race maybe start by
1: imagining putting your shoes on
2: yeah exactly Yeah, yeah exactly start start small and start simple yeah for sure yeah
1: So with regards to pet as I understand it, you know, there's a degree of, you know, putting your kit on nearly uh, and, you know, having the implement that you might use if you're a badminton player, you maybe hold a badminton racket, etc. Does that not move it out of the idea of uh, imagery and into physical behavior matching, as you called it before?
2: Yeah, so it seems to be, so it is behavioral matching, but why wouldn't that be imagery? Why, why would imagery have to be like the old school approach where you like lie in the bed or like sit in a really relaxing spot and like imagine? That's probably not the most effective way of, of using imagery. You know, if you're thinking about a golfer on the golf course, they're not like sitting down on their golf bag and closing their eyes and imagining hitting the shot. Like they're in it, like they're there standing behind the ball. It's it's still imagery. Caroline Wayfield has a really nice paper on this from 2012 about Petalep as a behavioral matching kind of model rather than a functional equivalence model. If you have the goal of matching as many components as possible to the physical execution, what that does is okay, it may not be there may not be a direct neural mechanism that makes the imagery more effective by putting on your case or by holding your bouncing racket. But what it might do is make people more concentrated or more invested in the in the imagery process. And that actually might be what what, what makes it helpful or it might be what makes it um, kind of more effective than just like lying there on the gym floor or like, you know, sitting in some some chair and kind of wistfully imagining performing a movement, you know?
1: Yeah, so so actually if I get into my car and I'm learning to drive, I could do the imagery in the car, but it's not imagery yeah. as, start, as I start moving. As soon as I start moving, it's no longer imagery.
2: Well, like as as soon as you start moving the car, I hope you're not closing your eyes and using imagery. I hope you're actually <laughs> performing the movement of like controlling the car. Yeah,
1: right, right. I, I need to go back to basics here. Eyes open when driving. Eyes shut when doing imagery.
2: Maybe you do. You can have eyes open when doing imagery as well, if that's your preference. Well, I give you an example, right? So you're a golfer. You're you know you you're hitting a second challenge into a par four to win a major. Um, What's going to be more so? You want to imagine the flight of the golf ball that you're, so in terms of the shot you're about to hit. Uh, I got my eyes open. The whole scene is in front of me. I can see the green. I can see the flag. I can imagine what the flight of the golf ball is in that context. All I have to do is create the flight of the golf ball. Or I can close my eyes and now I have to create the scene that's in front of me and then also create the, the flight of the golf ball. So in that context, eyes open imagery might be potentially more effective. Again, It depends. Maybe somebody like really doesn't want to see the crowd and maybe they want to actually close their eyes. That's also totally fine. And it also might have the capacity to be be effective in that context.
1: Yeah. So I suppose in that scenario, it's like imagine the outcome and then imagine you creating the outcome through the movement uh, so that you're matching what you want. Is it? I mean, that seems quite new to me. Is that something, you know, if somebody went the other way, imagine creating the movement and then creating the outcome? Would you would you advise against that? Would you reverse engineer the imagery or not? What's the view here?
2: I think it'd be down to personal preference, right? So in that scenario, somebody might be very focused on the kinesthetic element of the imagery. What does it feel like to hit the shot that I need to hit? And then imagine what the what the flight of the golf ball is. And actually, if you look at things like the VMIQ two or the MIQ three uh, or the MIQR, um, like internal visual imagery, external visual imagery, and kinesthetic imagery are considered different skills or considered different abilities. So again, it depends on somebody's personal preference or their capacities in each of the different kind of perspectives as to which perspective is going to be most effective for them in that given scenario.
0: So the MIQs that you mentioned there are just mental imagery questionnaires, and you're talking about the skill of being able to imagine from that internal perspective, the skill of being able to imagine from that external perspective, and the skill of being able to feel the movements. You're saying they're all just different skills.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: And are those different uh, skills of imagery of internal, external versus feeling, are um, is there different sports where one variation is more appropriate than others? I've heard of stories of people who race car drivers, actually uh, not even being funny here, but actually going underneath the water um, (laughs) in, in a swimming pool, sitting down there and then doing the imagery in a swimming pool uh, at the bottom of a swimming pool while holding the breath, imagining going around a lap of a track. And, you know, I just kind of think like that's obviously that driver's process and that's highly intense, but like, is he is he imagining the movements he's making? Uh, is that better for him as a driver, or would he be better off imagining the movement of the car around the track and the tactics of it? Is it different for gymnastics or, or golf? Like, what's the story here?
2: I guess it's probably going to uh, certainly the task that's being performed is going to influence that. I also think individual differences, individual preferences, athlete to athlete is also Mm -hmm. going to influence that as well so i don't have a like a straight answer for you in terms of what's going to be like most um most effective so you would imagine if you take somebody who wants to change a skill right so somebody who wants to change how they serve a tennis ball or somebody who wants to change their golf swing or something like that and they want to use imagery as an adjunct to their physical practice then you would think that maybe some kind of external visual imagery would be effective in that context. Cause they want to be able to see the changes in that context. So that kind of third person perspective might be very effective where in the context of your, your race car driver, um, they might actually want to be in the perspective of like being in the car, you know, seeing the world go by at 180 miles an hour and while imagining the movements in response to the different corners or in response to the different kind of, um, kind of scenarios that might be particularly effective in uh, for for like race car driving. But again, I think it depends. I don't really have an answer for you there because I think it depends on the athlete. It depends on the, the context uh, of, of the skill that's being performed as well. Sorry, that's a bit of a cop out.
0: No, I think it depends is a perfectly reasonable answer. We've had that one plenty of times before, haven't we here?
1: Yeah, we had Dave Collins on and uh, that's one of his favorite f- sayings is it depends and then, but also what it depends on.
0: So you're listening to the 80 percent mental podcast with our guest today owen McNeil, um, an expert because he doesn't like being called an expert on imagery um and we've talked about a whole load of different things today we've talked about what it is and how to perhaps do it and the question i wanted to come to you with now owen is what about when you just can't quite get it if you're an athlete and you're trying imagery but you're actually imagining things going wrong and that can be from you know just missing a shot to something quite serious, like imagining uh, injuring yourself, you know, what what should we do there? Maybe as an athlete, or even as a sports psychologist who's working with an athlete who's unable to imagine positive outcomes.
2: Tough question. Good question. Um, why is imagining negative outcomes bad?
0: Well, it's not what I would want. If I if I'm imagining myself playing. You know, because I, I used to, I used to do I used to practice imagery uh, when I played basketball. I used to practice uh, making shots, uh, practice taking shots from different areas of the court, and it's not particularly helpful if I'm just imagining myself missing all the time. It's not necessarily going to boost my confidence. You talked about self-efficacy earlier on as a, as a potential outcome. It's certainly not going to be helpful if I'm imagining myself getting injured. I'm going to perhaps be a little bit more tentative. I'm not going to be as, uh, as confident going into uh, contact. If I've prepared and imagined playing in this game and I keep imagining myself, I don't know, landing and and turning an ankle or something like that. Um, So from that perspective, I guess it it could potentially be a a negative outcome
2: no i think i I, like i I definitely agree with you there i was just being devil's advocate for a second (laughs) um it's it's an interesting one if if that were the case it, it strikes or it kind of um it kind of suggests maybe a a deeper reason or a deeper um kind of mechanism for why those negative images are are occurring or for why why that person is unable to um, to create kind of the, I don't really like positive, like the kind of facilitative kind of imagery sure, use sure. Um, uh, for, for performance. Um, so it's probably be a case of maybe trying to drill down a little bit further and understand what the root cause of the of ability the of kind of imagery or, or you would imagine that there's probably some debilitative self-talk that might be occurring in that scenario also. Um, and maybe using some like, cognitive reframing techniques or something like that to actually, to actually deal with the root cause of, of why that person is struggling to, to perform the imagery in a facilitative kind of way. I, I mean, I, I know that using negative inverted commas imagery as an if-then process. So if this happens, then how will I respond? I know there's been some research suggesting that that might be an effective uh, use of imagery, but I mean, it, in the scenario that you've outlined there where it's clearly uh, kind of a debilitative um, scenario, then mm. I guess the, the the hope would be that you'd be able to kind of uh, drill down and understand why that's occurring and then, and then use some sort of restructuring or reframing technique to address that root cause, and then maybe try to slowly build more facilitative imagery into their uh, psychological preparation or their 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 kind of psych skills, kind of from there. I think that'd be kind of maybe the reasonable, reasonable approach. I'd be interested, Pete, in your kind of interpretation of that, or I'd be interested in, in terms of what you would think about that.
0: No, I I completely agree, and I think it's an important thing for again any trainee psychs who might be listening to this. That you know, it's not necessarily about the skill of you know imagery. It's not necessarily about how we're doing that and curing again, in inverted commas, negative images by just doing more and more and more imagery isn't necessarily the way to do it. Okay, well, you're not doing it right. We need to do it differently. We need to do it better. Um, I absolutely agree. You know, it, It's potentially revealing of something underlying, whether it's a, a confidence issue or an anxiety issue or, or, or something else. And again, for any young psychs listening, it's about drilling down and, and, and really looking at all aspects of that athlete. Well, what else is going on? And as you say, let's kind of correct. I don't know if that's the right word correct that image, breaking down that image. And, and there's all sorts of things we can do with timing and, and speed of it as well, and finding exactly where it is in that image that's going wrong and, and pausing and rewinding, almost as if we're watching it on, 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 on video. I mean, what do, you, what do you, either of you guys really, you know, what do you guys make of that idea of, of playing with the image to almost correct those debilitative images?
2: so i think that that's that's potentially very useful the the caveat i would put in there is that that requires uh, quite a lot of imagery ability that requires quite a lot of control of the image the ability to to kind of hold it in in memory or to to kind of kind of hold it in consciousness and transform it in that kind of context requires quite quite a lot of expertise actually in in terms of the in terms of the individual's um, imagery ability or, or their capacity to, to kind of change the image.
0: And presumably the psychologist as well who's, who's working with
2: Yeah, it. yes, presumably, yeah. Um, so I think that it's something that could be potentially very useful, but but certainly with that that caveat that not all people may be able to, to actually do that immediately, especially particularly if they're new to using imagery as like a psych skill as such.
1: It's interesting. I know within other... Uh other therapy approaches, imagery is quite well used. Uh, and it's probably the first stage in flooding or exposure therapy is just imagining the phobia that you have. Um, so I think it is is useful to imagine things that do cause you anxiety because that may cause you to acclimatize to that anxiety and normalize it and then deal with that future scenario. So I suppose the context is heavily dependent there. Uh, something I was going to throw at you is, and I've heard this uh, from somebody who is uh, an imagery a person, another person who's researched imagery, but they made the comment that you shouldn't do imagery if you don't have skill acquisition, motor imagery, if you don't have the full range of motion in your joints. Um, so say, for example, you've done an ankle like Pete's mentioned and you haven't got your full range of motion, but then you're, you're imagining making cuts and turns on the basketball court that that might actually not be the best thing for your skill acquisition in that. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that, if that's an appropriate thing or not.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, I know that um, I know healing imagery is something that's used a lot in, uh, in kind of injury rehabilitation or in kind of uh, sometimes in, in stroke rehabilitation as well, alongside motor imagery. Um, and when I say healing imagery, sometimes I get like weird faces back from students. If I say it in class or, or something like that, <laughs> but it's not like you're know, using the law of attraction to knit your ligaments back together. It's not like a direct <laughs> mechanism. It's that you get people to, to imagine having the, the range of motion and that that kind of motivates them or that or kind of supports them in their physical rehabilitation, which then actually allows them to return to a full range of of motion. So I've heard definitely um, heard of imagery being used in, in that kind of context for, for imagery rehabilitation. I, I haven't really come across that that argument that um, you know that you shouldn't use it unless you have full range of motion in, in, in the joints. To be honest, but maybe that is a maybe that is a, an argument that's that's out there in the literature that I just haven't uh, I haven't actually come across.
0: Well, if you're if you're an expert on imagery, then tweet us at EPM Podcast. Let us know what you think. Interesting that we. Kind of veered off a little bit there into into rehabilitation, injury re- rehabilitation. I was actually going to ask, you know, this, this podcast's primarily about sport and sport performance, but imagery's got applications in other settings as well, in in exercise settings, for example. Um, can you tell us a little bit about about that?
2: Uh, yeah, so I mean, I mean, look, you've kind of talked, we've kind of talked about the use of imagery, about how it it kind of goes beyond sport, right? So in the the way that it's used in kind of therapeutic um, scenarios as well. so it is kind of a, it is kind of a fundamental cognitive process right We think about it from a skill acquisition point of view a lot or from a skill or from like a performance um, point of view a lot but but it does go um, kind of far beyond that. I think if you look beyond some of the performance enhancing or the potential performance enhancing benefits of, of using imagery and you look more at the self-efficacy aspect so the, the kind of the confidence kind of research. That's a usefulness that people can tap into when it when it comes to uh, to imagery, particularly around things like exercise or perhaps around things like behaviour change for people who are who are currently sedentary or in scenarios like that. It, it, it certainly would have the capacity to have applications outside of just sports performance.
1: I think uh, within that regard, one of the things that I find interesting is the use of imagery within law enforcement. And one of the research papers which I've read did a randomized control trial with one group who was given a a task, which means they couldn't be doing any imagery, so they were fully occupied during the interlude, and they were trained before and after um, in a scenario where they had to discharge a weapon. And what they found is that the ones who did imagery before the test performed better significantly. But then on top of that, they also did a follow-up study where uh, they imagined themselves being shot and then how they would perform after being shot, and in the follow up, follow up scenario, they were then shot with the paintball guns and had to still still uh, return fire to the target. And again, those who done the imagery outperformed. And I think that's kind of an interesting thing that imagery has been used in like other scenarios uh, like that. But they're very much related to sport. But but the thing that is curious is not just using imagery for positive performance, but actually using imagery for recovering from open. Uh, an interactive performance, if you know what I mean. So I'm curious, do you have any thoughts on like how somebody would do that? Because I imagine like boxing, for example, you know, everyone has a plan until they get hit. Is this the same with imagery that you should be imagining, you know, the setbacks and then incorporating that into your skill execution? Or what are your views on that? Yeah,
2: I think that's potentially a very useful a very useful method of applying imagery. So yeah, using it for these if then for these if-then scenarios, um, so I'll, I'll give you—I'll uh, give you an example. This—this this might be—I presume this is going to be mostly a UK audience, but so this might be a little bit of an inside baseball thing for myself and Hugh. But if you're playing a hurling match, Hugh, uh, and you're marking somebody in a hurling match, and a ball is is hit into between you and your marker, there's two potential or two primary potential outcomes, right? Either you get the ball or your marker gets the ball. So you could potentially get correct. two. What's the other outcome?
1: You get the man.
2: Yeah, well, okay.
1: You <laughs> yeah. Either, yeah.
2: <laughs> um, but if we stick but, to the, the two primary outcomes, that might be within the rules of the game. So you might have two different imagery scripts in that scenario. One where you imagine what you'll do if, if you get the ball out ahead of your man. And one where you imagine what you do if your man gets the, the ball ahead of you. So I think that is using imagery in that sense, as if then, for those if then scenarios, could be a potentially very useful way of athletes using it as a preparatory kind of uh, technique actually,
1: yeah. Owen, look, you've come on here and you've uh, basically straightened me out in terms of uh, imagery and and the terms. Um, Not only that, like I've taken away the idea of imagery for kinesthetic purposes and as well as internal versus external imagery. The idea that we need to make sure that we're using this with people who have imagery ability. And if you're training sports psych, there's obviously questionnaires out there to measure that. There's still a lot of work to be done within imagery and how that would be applied within sports psych. And, you know, hopefully we'll maybe have you on again in the future in another episode. Uh, But I'd like to thank you very much. uh, And as would Pete for coming on to the 80% Mental podcast. Do you have any final words and where can somebody get you if they want to get hold of you and pick your wonderful brain about uh, imagery?
2: Yeah, so thanks for being for having me on. First of all, it's always a very enjoyable conversation. Uh, so that's great. Um, I'm going to give Pete my address where he can send my honorary doctorate uh, in the book. Right there. <laughs> um, and hopefully the next time I come on, I'll have an actual doctorate and not a, an honorary doctorate. So if people are, are looking to get me, they can get me at Owen McNeil on Twitter.
0: Yeah, we'll uh, we'll put a link to that information in the uh, description for the show as well. So thank you uh, so much, Owen, for, for joining us on Eighty Percent Mental, and I hope that you put your honorary Eighty Percent Mental doctorate on your CV as well as your actual uh, doctorate when you get it.
1: Absolutely, in the yeah pride of place. Can. Can I also point out, Pete, that you asked me to have better bands at the start, and uh, I did manage to make a reference to Rogers, and include a line from a Kenny Rogers song, and hoping I was like throwing a curveball, but nobody picked that up.
0: Well, maybe, maybe some of the listeners picked it up. Um, I, I didn't.
2: I definitely did.
0: Right so it's not really what I meant by better better chat Hugh. It's, it's not what I was it's not what I had in mind throwing in obscure Kenny Rogers references in the middle of sentences about imagery.
1: Right okay I'm I'm going to have to go and work harder then.
0: <laughs> Thanks Pete. So on on this episode we started off by asking is what you see really what you get and we've explored what imagery actually is how using the mind to imagine and rehearse skills and performances can be really beneficial for athletes and I suppose for anyone really uh, in any number of different scenarios we've explored some of the different theories as to how it works and we've heard some practical suggestions for how we might best do imagery again from an athlete's point of view and a psych's point of view and you know i hope that it's been really useful for everyone listening as usual we'd love it if you subscribed to the podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts from Uh, And a rate and review on Apple would be great too and would really help other people to find us. So don't forget, all of our episodes are available at www.80percentmental.com, which is all words. And you can tweet us at EPM Podcast. We'd love to hear from you and we will see you next time. Well, we won't see you because it's it's a podcast.